0: Acts chapter 1, if you have a Bible, Acts chapter 1, we're going to dive right in. Right after the resurrection, Jesus had the kingdom of God on his mind. Acts 1.3, actually I'll just say this before I even get going. Um, We just found out that the Swahili we were using on the slides is not the Swahili dialect that our friends speak. So um, we're gonna put this in French now. uh, And if anyone, uh, yeah, has other, we're like, what are we putting up here? They can't even understand it. So now we're doing English, (laughs) Spanish, and French with the Swahili reference here uh, to be able to find things. Uh, So this is a work in progress as we're trying to communicate in multiple languages. But Acts 1-3, here we go. Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. It's interesting. Jesus has a very limited window of time between his resurrection and when he ascends to the Father, 40 days. So it's a very limited time. And this is what he chooses to focus on this is Luke's summary of what he focuses on. The kingdom of God. Jesus is focused on the kingdom. And right after the resurrection, the disciples of Jesus have the kingdom on their mind. So this is just a few verses later. This is Acts 1.6. So so when they had come together, this is the disciples. They asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So Jesus has the kingdom on his mind and the disciples have the kingdom on their mind, but here's what we discover. They have two very different things on their minds. The disciples are thinking, military revolt. The disciples are thinking an armed coup. So when they think, oh, is it time for you to restore the kingdom to Israel? In their mind, it's, oh, the Messiah will come, and he will restore Israel to political prominence, and we will overthrow those nasty Romans who have been oppressing us. And they're ready for some Roman butt-kicking at this time. They're eager. That's why they're, that they're like a kid at Christmas. Is it time yet? Is it time yet? Now, how about now? Can we open our presents now? Is it time now? Kingdom now? Kingdom now? They're thinking military revolt. But if you read the rest of the passage, when Jesus speaks to them, he talks about the sending of the Holy Spirit. He speaks about them being witnesses to him, about him, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Both are talking about the kingdom, but in very, very different ways. Here's my hunch. When Jesus talks about the kingdom, many of us misunderstand what he's saying. And we import our understanding into his words. So, with that in mind, if you want to keep flipping in your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 6. I have question. Is it true when Jesus says? Why don't you hold on, Heath? I'd love. Yeah. Hey, Heath, I'd love to answer your questions, bud. Uh, Let's wait till afterwards, though, okay? Awesome. So Jesus then, again, with that Acts background in mind, Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, this is how he teaches them to pray. He says, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. If you're new with us, welcome. We're glad that you're with us. We've spent uh, the last part of the last three weeks or so, four weeks, in a fall series on the Lord's Prayer. We've already prayed this today. We do it every week. We thought it would be really helpful for us to understand what we're praying as we pray those prayers, as we pray those words each week. Because this is a prayer that we want to get deep into our bones, and we take Jesus really seriously when He says, "Pray like this." Okay, let's let the Rabbi, let's let the Master teach us how to pray. So today, as we're looking at, we've talked about our Father in Heaven, and we've talked about hallowedness, hallowing, holy be your name. This week, the focus is your kingdom come. So uh, as we talk about that, first, let me give you a kingdom definition. Then I want to offer you some kingdom mysteries. And then we'll talk about kingdom prayers. So first, a definition. What does this word mean? If we were to pray, your kingdom come. So we live in a world of democracy with presidents, and mayors, and congressmen, congresswomen, governors. And yet, I would argue, we still have a faint echo of royalty in our world, right? Kings, queens, thrones. We recently had Queen Elizabeth pass the torch to King Charles. Maybe you've read about King Arthur, King George and his tea party, Henry VIII, I am, I am. Or maybe you're just a little more lowbrow, and it's Simba <laughs> belting out, I just can't wait to be king. 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 Right? So there's, there's, there's echoes of king and kingdom and royalty still in our imagination. We'll make this as simple as we can. Uh, short Shorthand, The word kingdom means the king's domain, kingdom, the king's domain. It's a realm of influence where a king reigns and exercises authority, kingdom. Some people talk about a kingdom as a place, and that can be true. Some people talk about a kingdom in terms of people, and that also can be true. But when the scriptures speak of a kingdom, it's more speaking about this realm of influence. It's the king's domain. It's the authority, the rule, and the reign of a king. God's divine sovereignty in action. Now, to be clear... Again, this is very similar to the conversation last week about the holiness of God, God being holy or to be hallowed, uh, this idea of God being king. The, The Bible is pretty clear that God is king. I could quote many chapters and verse. God is king. God reigns. Like, actually, that's not up for debate or discussion today. You're like, no, he's not. Okay, you can say that, but he is. Psalm 145, Psalm 145, verse 13, it says, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations, all generations, all peoples, all places, all countries, all over the universe. The Bible says that God actually reigns, God is king. That's not necessarily up for debate, but the reason why we would need to pray or even have this conversation today is because of a second idea that was introduced in the Garden of Eden many years ago, and it happened through sin. Though God is king, though God reigns, human beings have said, no you don't, I choose my own way. In the same way that there is the kingdom of God, there is now another kingdom at work, the Bible says. There is the kingdom of God and there is the kingdom of this world. There is a kingdom of light and there is a kingdom of darkness. Another way that the Bible speaks about this is that there is the present age and then the age to come. Galatians 1.4, Paul doesn't mince words. The Apostle Paul, he calls this the present evil age. Ephesians 2.1, uh, Paul colors this in a bit more for us. Ephesians 2.1, he says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, Amidst the ongoing rule and reign of God, there now is a prince of the power of the air who has temporarily been given influence in this world, in this age, among our lives. And here's his agenda. Though he was not successful in dethroning God from his throne, he is working overtime to dethrone God from the human heart. That you would not live and act in submission to God as king, but that you would throw off his rule and reign. And unfortunately, it hasn't been too difficult. We live in an age of darkness and rebellion. Human independence that Paul talks about here as being, again, he, he uses these really strong words, sensual, fleshly, demonic, satanic. I don't use those words lightly. But we as Americans don't have categories for this. We don't think in these terms. That there is an enemy of our soul who is seducing humanity into overthrowing God and his rule. An alternative king and kingdom Uh, Augustine, St. Augustine, the great North African church father. He says that God is reigning now, but just as light is absent to those refusing to open their eyes, so it is possible to refuse God's rule. And close your eyes, and close your heart, and close yourself off to this God. And the messaging of our secular age is, he doesn't exist. All that is is what you can see and you rule the the expressive individualism you set the pace you define what's right you do you now again this is all preamble i know stay with me all throughout the old testament The prophets were sent to Israel, to God's people, to remind them of a coming Messiah, that there would be a day when God would establish himself on earth. And that's what the disciples were so fired up about. That's why they're like, is it now, now, now? Now now are you gonna do this? Is it time for the kingdom now? And you have all these passages, and I'll, I'll spare the references, but Daniel spoke of the Son of Man, who had received the kingdom from the ancient of days. Isaiah spoke of a future glory, the new heavens and the new earth. Habakkuk spoke of the day when the, the earth would be covered with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord like the waters cover the sea. There's a picture for you. Just like the water covers the sea, that the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord again. In short, the prophets spoke of the kingdom of God. We use other terms, eternal life, deliverance. Freedom. All these were baked into their hope. They knew that one day God would act, that God would do something about the problem in the world, that He would deal with the prince of the power of the air, that He would end this present evil age. But here's the mystery, and it has been a mystery for many, many years and decades and centuries. No one knew when that would happen and no one knew how it would happen. And most everyone assumed then at the end of time, at the end of the age, God would do this thing. And then there's this person who shows up on the scene, Jesus of Nazareth. I'm making you flip a bit today, but if you want to flip, flip to the gospel of Mark. This is where it gets good. This is how Mark opens his gospel account. Uh, Mark, his gospel's really short and to the point. Some call it the ADD gospel because Jesus is always immediately doing everything immediately. uh, Mark doesn't talk about the birth of Jesus. He doesn't talk about the early life of Jesus. He just gives us his baptism, and here he goes. But here's the first words of Jesus in Mark chapter 1. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So all these prophets were speaking of the day when God would act and the day when God would fulfill his promise. Jesus shows up and says, guess what, folks? The time is fulfilled the kingdom of God is at hand, it's close, it's near. What's he doing? <laughs> He's telling them that the kingdom of God is happening differently than you thought. It's happening God's way. So again, it's impossible for me to preach on the kingdom of God in one short sermon Um, But let me try and do the best I can. So kind of with that idea of the definition of kingdom, let me just, it's so hard in some ways to talk about the kingdom because there's these mysteries, there are these tensions about the kingdom. I want to name three of them. Here's the first one. When you read the scriptures and when Jesus shows up on the scene and declares that the kingdom is here, the first tension and the first mystery is that the kingdom is both now and not yet. It's now and not yet. I know that sounds like Yoda doublespeak. But it's true. So all of the future promises of God still stand. It's good news. Revelation 21 and 22 are yet to come. And if you've ever read the end of the story... When God comes back to be with his people and heaven and earth are joined and there's new heaven and a new earth and tears are wiped away and death will be obliterated and God will be again with his people. There's hope that God will come again and put the world to right. It's a future to come. But... At the same time, while there's this future element of the fulfillment of the kingdom of God, Jesus comes and says, the kingdom is here. The kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is close. So it's both now and not yet. Jesus did come the first time. And he did live. And he did die. And he was raised again. And he proclaimed, in me, in my life, the kingdom is here. The king is here. The kingdom is now. And here's why this is so huge. Many, maybe in my tribe and tradition, speak about the Christian hope as only being a future one that you pray a prayer, believe in God, confess your sins so that you can go to heaven when you die. And yes, there's a future hope to our faith, but we can miss out on the fact that what Jesus has done is come and say the kingdom is also here, it's for now. He has something to say about today. He has something to say for you here. The rule and reign of God isn't just for the future. It is for the future, but also he's breaking in now. So it is now and not yet. Another tension, another mystery. It's for this world, but it's not of this world. John 18, 36 Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Meaning, my kingdom is not done the way that the world does things. If so, yeah, let's armor up and fight. I don't want to die. But that's not the way the kingdom worked. He needed to die to be the sacrifice for the sins of the world. So he says, my kingdom, it's not, it doesn't operate on your basis, your world. It's not of this world, but my kingdom is for this world. And again, that's why the the disciples were like, oh, it's kingdom time. And they're thinking, revolution, revolt. It's time to stomp on the Romans. But when you watch Jesus work, he doesn't necessarily go after Caesar nor Pilate, nor any other political force. But instead, he targets the spiritual system. Which is why, when you, again, we talked about Mark's one, Mark's gospel, he declares that the kingdom is at hand, and then you watch what Jesus does. What does Jesus immediately do? Mark one. He goes into the synagogue, and he delivers a man from an unclean spirit. And everyone's like, whoa, whoa. This guy has authority that even the demons obey. Same chapter, then Jesus goes to Simon Peter's house, and he heals Peter's mother-in-law. And then he goes on from there, and he, they bring out the sick and those oppressed by demons, and Jesus heals the sick, and he casts out demons. Demons. Matthew 18, or excuse me, Matthew 12, Jesus says, but if it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus equates the coming of the kingdom with spirit-led freedom and deliverance. Again, do we as Americans have categories for this? So it's true that one day, one day, heaven and earth joined. One day, God will overthrow every human government that's opposed to his rule. But until that day, he's signaling a new target. God is announcing that he's now acting among human beings to deliver them from the bondage of sin and Satan and death. I don't know if you realize this, but Jesus has come to free you from this present evil age. He has come to deal with your sin and my sin. Jesus made a point to show that the powers of the age to come have come rushing into the present, and now there is something available through the work of Jesus for us here and now today. It's not of this world, but it's for this world. Sometimes Christians speak about the darkness as though we're really scared of the darkness. And believe me, I understand that we live in a dark world. Jesus didn't seem to be too afraid of the darkness. He steps into dark places and brings light. He steps into places of sickness and helps bring healing. He knows that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And then a third mystery in this kingdom idea is that the kingdom is unstoppable and yet meek. Again, the, the, the Bible is really clear that Jesus is king and the rule of God will have no end. That's literally what the angel said to Mary in Luke when he tells Mary that she's going to have a baby. Luke 1.33, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. It's a straight up echo of Daniel 7. That says, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And we're like, yeah, that's great news. The king, and it's unstoppable, and there's dominion and glory and power, and nothing will stop it. Which is why then the disciples are like, yeah, let's go! Freedom! Let's rush. Let's go get Rome. And then the king comes as a baby. I thought it was unstoppable. That little baby is the king? Jesus comes as a carpenter. Jesus spends a few decades in relative obscurity in a tiny town called Nazareth. It's like the son of God literally moved into the neighborhood and no one knew. are like, I thought this was like unstoppable. You're like, no one knew? What kind of kingdom is this? And then you hear Jesus speak. One of Jesus's primary teaching methods was parables. Have you ever read the parables of Jesus? Jesus is like the kingdom of heaven is like gardening. You're like macho violent gardening. The kingdom is like seed, it's like a sower spreading seed. The kingdom of heaven is like weeds. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven in a bread. The kingdom is like a tree. You're like, what I thought what about the dominion and the glory and that shall have no end and weeds seeds leaven what kind of kingdom is this unstoppable inevitable but the way the king operates is that he does not force his way on someone it can actually be missed it can actually be rejected like a mustard seed, like leaven. Start small, but watch where it goes. Like no one saw the kingdom like this. Jesus did not come with a sword demanding allegiance, believe or die. He didn't come with threats and power plays. He didn't say bow or else. He came as a baby. He came as a carpenter. He came to lay down his life. And he came with an offer to believe in him, to trust him. God will not smash you into his kingdom. He invites you in. This is not what we think of when we think of kingdom. It's not an unstoppable force that will mow you down, but a loving offer of faith to whosoever will. Unstoppable in the end, but delicately meek, and missable in between. Do you you see the difference? So there's this mystery of the kingdom. It's it's now and not yet. It's for this world, but it's not of this world. It's unstoppable, but really humble and missable and meek. It's the one and only kingdom of God. So now, with the longest preamble in the history of sermons, (laughs) Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father, our Father in heaven, holy be your name, name above all names, not my name, but your hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. What are we praying when we pray that prayer? A few things and I'll end. To pray your kingdom come is a prayer of ultimate hope. It's to say, God, I, 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 I was on Twitter yesterday. God, I was online yesterday. This world's a mess. God, I, I was in my neighborhood. God, I was in my home this week, and in my home's a mess. Your kingdom come. It's a prayer of ultimate hope. Jesus, we need you to come back. We need you to put the world to rights. We get our eyes off of ourselves and we look toward the one who brings ultimate fulfillment when Jesus will come back again. It's to turn from our short-term solutions and our lowercase k kings and our lowercase q queens and the heroes that we run to to say, Jesus, you're king. Come, Jesus. He came once as a humble child. He will come back again the second time, not as a baby but is the rightful ruler of heaven and earth in power and glory, and he will put the world to right. Our ultimate hope and faith is a trust in a God who will fulfill his promises and do what he said he will do. I think I had this quote. George. Lad, this prayer is a petition for God to reign, to manifest his kingly sovereignty and power, to put to flight every enemy of righteousness and of his divine rule that God alone may be king over all the world. We We need God to be king, to be known as king over the entire world. This is the solution of all solutions, the hope of all hopes, not a new president. Folks, I know everyone will say this is the most important election in the history of mankind in the next year. And please, we will talk about how we engage politically. But our great hope is not a new president. Our great hope is not a new governor. Our great hope is not a new job, or a new raise, or a new car, or a new spouse, or a new girlfriend, or a boyfriend, or kids. That's not our ultimate hope. Our ultimate hope is our king to come back. And so the next to last verse in the Bible is Revelation twenty two twenty 20, that says, come, Lord Jesus. So we pray, your kingdom come. We look forward to the day when faith shall be sight, and we will see and know death defeated. God with human beings, new heavens, new earth, tears wiped away, no more sorrow. We look forward to that day. Come, your kingdom come. But it's also to pray your kingdom come as a prayer of present expectation it's it's a it, your kingdom come like not just then yes then but also like now today here This is a prayer for the inbreaking of the signs of the kingdom of heaven here and now. That's the Jesus way. When Jesus shows up in the room, what happens? Read the Gospels. Jesus brings healing and forgiveness of sin and deliverance from oppression and freedom in life and repentance and joy and love and all the fruits of the Spirit happen because of Jesus so it says to pray your kingdom come we're like yes come here now expectant that this isn't just a future thing just because we have an ultimate hope that isn't fully here yet does not mean that we dig a hole and stick our heads in the sand it doesn't mean that we just circle the wagons and hunker down and just pray come back please come back please come back but it's a prayer of present expectation that the kingdom has come in Jesus and the spirit has been poured out among us and we are his representatives. The inheritance of the church is not passivity. The inheritance of the church is not just sit back and let it all go to hell in a handbasket, but to join God where he's moving as his people in this world. It's a prayer of participation. Kingdom come. It's to pray what Isaiah, you ever read Isaiah 6? He has this heavenly vision of God on his throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe fills the temple with glory. And he's like, Woe is me, I'm undone. And so they, he gets his mouth touched and he is cleansed. And then what does Isaiah say? This cry goes out, Who will go for me? And Isaiah says, Here am I, send me. So, when we pray, Your kingdom come, we're praying, Here am I, Lord. Here we are, Lord. Send us. We're not the best. We're not the brightest. We're the weakest and the littlest, the basest. And yet we're like, Come. If you want to heal, Lord, would you heal through me? Would you bless through me? Would you bring good news of forgiveness through me, through us? a prayer of present expectation that God actually wants to do something before he comes back. It's why he hasn't come back yet. He's not just like chilling someplace else for no reason. He's not bored, preoccupied, but he wishes that all would come to repentance. Married with that, to pray your kingdom come is a prayer of fierce contending this is a kingdom truth worth repeating. The work is finished and the battle is won. The work is finished on the cross. The battle is won. Satan's sin and death are defeated foes. The blood of Jesus speaks a better word. The finished work of the cross cries out to all of creation that humanity has a great Redeemer. And though it is not as it will be one day, we get to contend on behalf of others. And I can't tell you how many times I've prayed that very simple prayer, your kingdom come when I don't know what to do and I'm with my friends and my neighbors and I see marriages broken and I see devastation and heartache in a war-torn world. May we contend. Your kingdom come here, Lord. May your will be done. May your kingdom come. I don't think I made a slide for this. Well, I'll share one that I did. Karl Barth, he says, to clash the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. Amen. All I can do is pray. Really? All you can do is pray? All right, well, let's start an uprising against the disorder of the world. Let's pray, your kingdom come. And T. Wright says, he uses binocular vision as his idea. He says, thy kingdom come. To pray this means seeing the world in binocular vision, to see it like through one lens, with the love of the creator for his spectacularly beautiful creation. It's like, in what, to, to pray thy kingdom come, we see through the love of God. And we see it with deep grief with the deep grief of the creator for the battered, battle-scarred state in which the world now finds itself. So we look through a lens of love and we look through a lens of grief and we say we as God's people will stand in those places, those difficult places, seeing God's great love and great grief for the scars that are happening all throughout our world. Your kingdom come. May the rule and reign of God show up here. And then lastly, to pray this is a prayer of humble surrender. Because, man, we can say, like, yeah, may your kingdom come, as we've prayed in Israel right now, Palestine. May your kingdom come in the mess of the United States. But what about here? Pastor Tim Keller, this is a lordship petition. It's asking God to extend his royal power over every part of our lives, our emotions, desires, thoughts, and commitments. This is a humble request for more of the rule and reign of God in me. And there are places in me that I still need the rule and reign of God. This is where I live in anxiety. Like, man, I need the rule and reign of God. Selfishness, pursuing comfort, Need more of the rule and reign of God. So to pray, I can say, yeah, come, Jesus, and fix this mess, but your kingdom come here, Lord. May it begin here with me. May it come in the future. May it come breaking in today. May it come for those who need deliverance, and may it come in me. May your kingdom come. More of your rule, more of your reign in every part of my life, in every part of this world. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, this kingdom is so different than how I would do it. Your plans are so much greater than ours. And so, Lord, we ask for you to reshape our minds and imaginations about this now-and-not-yet kingdom, about this this for-this-world-not-of-the-world kingdom, This unstoppable yet meek, admissible kingdom. So, Lord, we just just offer ourselves to you. We offer our church to you. We offer our lives to you. We pray, Your kingdom come, King Jesus. Forgive us for thinking as though we can rule ourselves better. Because I know I can't. I make a mess of things. We've made a mess of things. So, thank you, King Jesus, that you save and you forgive and you redeem and you're not done yet, and you will come again. So come, Lord Jesus, in all those ways. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit, and do your work in us. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.